0: Hello, my finest friends, and welcome to another Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast from the Leicester Square Theatre, with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Dave Gorman. Fantastic of him to travel all the way up uh, from the South Coast to be our guest. Very enjoyable podcast with him. Um, And uh, I hope you will spread the news. Let your friends know about these podcasts. Uh, Every listen helps us. Um, so do keep listening, do go listen to those retro Realistabers on Friday, listen to any ones you want, and, uh, they will all help us make more podcasts. If you want to help us even more, you could, um, buy my book, Would You Rather?, which is available from gofasterstripe.com if you want to avoid evil Ian Amazon, uh, and it's also an audio book, which is very different. You might want to buy both. The audio book is me and Stevie Martin, not that one, um going through several of the questions and doing basically an almost 4 hour long podcast together i think it's a lot of fun you can it shows you how to use the book um and uh, you can then buy the book and try it out with your friends and see what answers you come up with uh, thank you to stevie for doing that uh if you appreciate all these free podcasts and occasionally want to give something back buying a book buying something to go faster stripe of mine um is a lovely way to pay back. If I keep selling books, then they'll keep paying me, and if you all, everyone who listened to this, bought my books, then they'd be very happy. So um, you can also buy the payback version of The Problem With Men, if you missed that last year, which is also out now. The perfect Christmas gift for a man or woman. Uh, they're both. They're Would you rather will be a lot of fun to play at Christmas with your folks, and it's family friendly, though the podcast audiobook version is not family friendly. Anyway, thank you for your time. I apologise for using it up. Let's now sit back, relax and enjoy Raha Lusterpar with David Gorman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who can't stop thinking about a man he walked past 30 years ago. It's Richard Herrick. It's so good to be back, thank you very much. Uh, welcome to Richard Haring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. But uh, I was talking to Timkey the other day. It's a little uh, cartoon character, Timkey, from the Eastern European. He calls it so I don't know, that's going to catch on. Uh, so uh, the third week in a row, uh, sorry, sixth, fifth week in a row that I've... Um, I've uh, driven in in my electric car, because they told us the petrol crisis would only last ten days, so it's lasted longer than ten days, certainly in London. Every garage I've passed, petrol station I've passed, for the last three drives has been closed every single time. How is anyone in London, how are there any cars moving in London? I don't understand it. There's, there's, it's uh, it's get, get an electric car like I've got, that's what I say. But, uh, get, get an electric car, that's good. Um, and uh, yeah, look, uh, my, uh, my books, I've got two books out at the same time. One of them's out right now, for the people here, if you listen to this home, they're both out. Uh, Rich Terring's Would You Rather uh, and the uh, paperback version, The Problem With Men, out on November the 4th, just in time for International Men's Day, whenever that is. <laughs> so buy both of those. Uh, my book Would You Rather, uh, is uh, this week, was number one in the Amazon snooker charts. <laughs> yeah it was ahead of the queen's gambit and think how much snooker there must be in that so <laughs> very exciting i think there is one question about snooker in my maybe it just maybe it just has finds the word snooker in your book and it's about so i don't know i may be i may be wrong um, and i've been yeah i've been thinking about this uh, i don't know if it's because i'm exercising a bit or uh, but I've, I've realised that over the last 30 years, I've been thinking about a man that I just walked past, I heard him say two sentences, and I still think about him very regularly. I'm going to try and tell this story succinctly, uh, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, was, uh, it was like the early 1990s, um, I was in Richmond, and I'd met up with some university friends to play rounders. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could play rounders again. It's, I think it was the last time I ever played rounders. Uh I don't remember Rounders. Did anyone play Rounders anymore? I don't even know how you play it anymore, but uh it was it feel it feels like something from the last millennium because it was. Um anyway, we arrived at the park and there was a there was an it was quite arrogant to play round us in a park, I think, like where there are other people, right? We hadn't booked anywhere. Uh, but uh, there was an even more assured and confident group of young people who were there to play Frisbee with each other, OK? They, were, they weren't on our patch or anything, so I guess it was a big park, I don't know. But uh, they seemed brasher and posher and more confident than us, though I have to say I think we must have had a degree of cocksuredness ourselves to take over a chunk of public land to play a children's game that I loved. Who wants to play rounders right now? I do. Anyone? Know? Should go and play rounders in Leicester Square? The guy I remember, who I'd thought about regularly for the last three decades, even though as far as I know this is the only time I have across, was limbering up ahead of a game of frisbee, properly stretching like he was an athlete. Uh, I think he had long hair in an Alice band, but I might be imagining that. Uh, he was addressing his group of friends in a casual, friendly way, but with a tinge of self-importance and arrogance. And he said, come on, guys, stretch those hammies. I don't want any pulled hammies today. Think about that, honestly, <laughs> at least once a month. Struck me as utterly ridiculous that a group of people in their early 20s would stretch before playing a game of frisbee. It was definitely a casual weekend thing, not a professional frisbee event, but I think stretching before a professional frisbee event would be overkill. <laughs> and sli- and uh, you'll be looking slightly ashamed that you were involved. Uh, it would be a, would be a be- better pre-game ritual. Um, I also wondered how many people ever pulled a hamstring playing frisbee Uh, in the park with their friends. It won't be none, but it won't be many. That is what I... Not enough to insist on warming up and making yourself the centre of attention. People's hamstrings are their own concern. If you want them to warm up, that's their business, not yours. They don't need a so-called friend instructing them how to do it. Just seemed attention-seeking and prickish to me. Uh, I did not warm up my hammies before playing rounders, uh, or at any point in my exercising life, (laughs) including when I ran the marathon. Uh, I suspect he's in the back of my mind because I am running again from ahead of my half marathon. Uh, the this, this sentence uh, was all I heard from him as we were walking past. Uh, An interesting isn't the rightness or, or wrongness of him instructing his friends to stretch in faux concern for their hamstrings whilst just trying to make himself appear like the alpha male of some frisbeers. Uh, but I've never been able to forget him and he keeps popping into my mind. And, and now, because this is on the podcast, it's been immortalised in a podcast that is archived in the British Museum and the British Library, and so his arseholery might be read and listened to and read about in hundreds of years' time. And that would be the only mark left by him on humanity. It'd be that. Uh, if you're listening to this hammies guy, and calling them hammies is obviously part of what made them comedic too. Their hamstrings. Uh, what have you been up to recently? Do you want to play rounders? We should stretch now, we're in our fifties. Uh, anyway, it was just weird that I remembered that. Um, uh, and I'm wearing my uh, wedding suit today. This is, a ten, this is, a ten, this is 10 years, i still fit into my wedding suit. But the reason it looks okay is because I didn't fit into it for most of my marriage. Uh, I also bought some boots online, like, like, look at those. But I, they were on sale and I didn't really look at them properly. And they've got quite a big heel on them, have you noticed? It's pretty good. I'm taller than my wife when I wear this, as long as she isn't wearing any shoes. I might just wear them all the time. She looked at me in a different way. and she had to look slightly up. I didn't buy him, so I couldn't be tall. I didn't know I'd be tall. Anyway, my guest this week uh, is probably best known for his appearance on South Today on the 8th of October 2018. That's why we're all here today. Was that when Bill was Bill Grundy on South Today? I'll find out. Uh, will you please welcome the amazing Dave Gorman, ladies and gentlemen. It's Dave, it's David Gorman. Thanks, Dave Gorman. Sit down. Ah. How are you doing, Dave? I'm all
1: right, thank Good. you.
0: yeah. Good.
1: Um, I thought you were looking taller.
0: Yeah, I'm, I've grown. Yeah. It's, look it's at that, amazing. Look at that. that gives you, it's, quite, it's quite extreme, isn't it? It is extreme. Simon Cowell wears similar lifts, <laughs> and but
1: pretending you didn't
0: deliberately. Buy I didn't. Lifts. I bought some other. I bought some other boots with the normal heel, and then at the last minute, I thought I should get some black ones to wear. You, you with my bought. Suit. You bought some lifts. You got them.
1: <laughs> you thought, oh fuck, this is so obvious. I'm going to have to pretend I didn't do it on purpose. I thought
0: they were going to be subtle and I'd get away with it. <laughs> if it's so obvious, how come you didn't spot them in the dressing room? Right, South today. What was South Today? The where Bill was, was that the Bill where Bill Grundy used to be on that I've, before? I've no idea. Oh. I think it was probably Fred Dinage. Yeah, at one point. Yeah. Um, who was it? Where, who interviewed you on South Today on the eighth of I, October, twenty eighteen? I can't remember his name. <laughs> okay,
1: but, and I'm I'm guessing because I think I've only been on on South Today once. I wouldn't have even known I was according to IMDb. I wouldn't, have, IMDb, I wouldn't have known the name of the show I was on. But um, like so the Sex I,
0: Pistols, you've only been on once, and that's because like yeah, the Sex yeah. Pistols,
1: I moved to uh, Bournemouth in March. It'll have been four years that we've, mm-hmm. we've been in Bournemouth. And on my last tour, there was a bunch of material about basically be bombarded by messages from people on Twitter, oh, are you retired then? And everyone assuming it's a retirement home place <laughs> and whatever, uh, and responses to that and statistics about that and so on. And I was warming the tour up in a little venue in Andover, and a guy who works for South Today, is that? South sure? Today. Uh, it was in the pretend you
0: wasn't the highlight of your. <laughs> <laughs> he,
1: he was in the audience yeah. and he, he was like, oh my God, somebody has moved to our region. <laughs> we should talk to him about that um, and so they said can we do an interview with you about that and yeah. I went no <laughs> and they went I'll oh, go on and I went you can if it's broadcast a week before my tour dates in the region Yeah. and they went alright then um, and so I, I sat down with the man and he said so why have you moved to Bournemouth and I said because it's lovely and he went Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Uh, And and people pretended it was exciting that someone had chosen to uh, eschew London in favour of Bournemouth. Um, It was quite exciting. I mean, it's exciting if you live in Bournemouth. I... I don't think me living in Bournemouth is exciting <laughs> for the people of Bournemouth. I love living there, it's absolutely lovely, and I yeah. see more of my family, and we, and my child has more time outdoors, and we go to the beach a lot, and it's, I, I'm loving living there, it's, it's, it's um, fantastic. But I don't understand how that could possibly give pleasure to others, <laughs> just knowing that I'm a neighbour, sort of.
0: Do a lot of people gawp at you in the street when they see you walk past? No. Hmm. No, they don't. They're playing
1: it very cool, but
0: there, yeah, that's inside. <laughs> I
1: um, so, yeah, no, I, I was on there to discuss um, uh, moving to, yeah. to the region. Yeah. Um, and weirdly, and I, I this is what I don't understand, because it was for, like, regional TV news. It was, you know, an item on the end of the local news. Yeah. And the local When I lived in London, the local news was fucking terrible <laughs> because the local news was the same as the news. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, so you'd, you'd sort of watch the national news and then they'd go, and now some things that happen in London. It's the news. <laughs> because all the politicians are in London and all that. So there wouldn't be yeah. very much like properly local content. And I sort of looked forward to the idea of, of living somewhere where the local news would actually be local news. and. God, that's even worse. <laughs> because it's really... I mean, I don't, they, they don't light it very well. It's like, no, there's no money being put into what's on screen and it's just somebody visited a school. Yeah. And
0: just... Oh, it's, Are you a bit annoyed that you weren't the headline? Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, I'm not. Dave Gorman has moved
1: into the area, what's 15 minutes. really weird is it, it was the number one trending story on the BBC News website. Right. So I was on tour in Coventry, I think, and I got a load of calls and messages from mates going, why are you telling the world you've moved to Bournemouth? <laughs> because it was, the, like, the top story of all the stories that had been read on the BBC News website for a day yeah. was, a comedian you probably haven't heard of has moved. <laughs> <laughs> Just, really, I don't know how that happened, but yeah. some algorithm threw me to the top of a thing.
0: Well, you're very popular. People would like to know where you are. <laughs> uh, well, good. It's, yeah. it, it's, it is very nice in Bournemouth. I visited you in Bournemouth, uh, yeah. and it's delightful. It is. It's, I I've visited you in London as well, and it was all right as well. <laughs> it, wasn't as, it wasn't as nice. No,
1: it is, it's a very nice part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, but you
0: know, now that's going to be a... It's going to be back on the BBC news. Yeah. now. Once this goes, once this Maybe goes, one of those, out.
1: Well, they? They they weirdly take snippets from these interviews yeah. and put them in the Metro or the yeah. Mirror. <laughs> That's not going to make it, there's, is it? There's a journalist Dave said it's a... lovely in Bournemouth.
0: Now we're live streaming. The journalists <laughs> don't even have to bother coming to these gigs. They just have to yeah, yeah. pay ten quid. <laughs> Someone's writing this up now. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I've oh, made man. £25, pounds, <laughs> minus the £10 pounds for the stream, £15 pounds profit, we are writing. So, look, well, seeing we're uh, talking about being boring and moving out of London, um, even more boringly, you now write crosswords.
1: Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, that was me
1: denying that moving to Bournemouth was like retiring. (laughs) And three years later, I'm writing cryptic crosswords for the newspapers. How did
0: this, how did this develop? how did this happen? How did you get into, I know you've always enjoyed. Yeah, well, I've always done them. I sort of
1: taught myself to do them when I was a teenager. And, and someone who sort of, travels and and whatever I like having a cryptic crossword with me it's like having a friend for company through the day on a train or whatever and it's it's always been a part of my life and I, I wrote about them in one of my books and that led to me writing the foreword for a book of cryptic crosswords by the observer a few years ago so I've always had these little sort of connections with some of the people involved in that world um and at the time back then, when I wrote that forward, I sort of dabbled with writing clues, but I wasn't really brave enough to do anything with it. And then during the first lockdown, I, I sort of wrote a crossword. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I figured, well, I did that because I'm bored in lockdown, and there must be lots of other people who are bored in lockdown, and maybe some of those people would like to do a crossword. So I tweeted it, and the editor of the, the crossword editor of The Independent replied to my tweet saying, um, some really good clues here, but the grid's shit. <laughs> uh, and I wrote back to him saying, if I did one where the grid wasn't shit, would you be interested?
0: What, what can I ask, what makes, what makes a grid <laughs> shitter than a different, another
1: grid? Um, no, seeing as you find crosswords boring, you yeah. may not ask that. Because um, <laughs> that, getting... that belies an interest that yeah. you are denying exists, Richard Herring. I'm is it boring so, or do you want to know? I want to know. Right, I'm getting okay, interested. Yeah. Also, um,
0: journalists are going to be writing, crosswords are my friend, Dave Gorman. That's, that's what you want. Is. I've got two fantastic scoops already. Yeah. When I have no friends, I have crosswords. So, what's the diff- what's the, What makes a good grid, Dave? Uh, a good grid yeah. is about the number of crossing letters in
1: the words. Uh, so you, what you shouldn't have... Yeah, so it shouldn't just be a load of words you shouldn't that have don't a load cross over <laughs> each yeah. in a line. You shouldn't yeah. really have more than two consecutive uncrossed squares oh, okay. in a word. Wow. And ideally, every answer would have 50% of its content crossing with other words.
0: That sounds tough.
1: That's what was wrong with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I got in touch with that editor and, and he ended up publishing one uh, and then... I wrote a lot more for him. And now in The Independent, most months, twice a month, mm-hmm. and in The Guardian every couple of months, and in The Telegraph once a month, um, which has become weird. That's mm. basically... £10,000 a crossword? <laughs> it is so ridiculously badly paid. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I worry that people would perceive that as, as me going, uh, used to my showbiz riches, <laughs> it is probably <laughs> <bad>. It's shit. <laughs> Regardless, every, basically every other crossword setter, there's about three people in the country who make a living writing crosswords and almost all the other crossword setters in the country, it's their hobby. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's no one's job. No. Rightly. Really so that's that now those you what three you know are kind about of like money. billionaire
0: billionaire crosswords. <laughs> but don't the crossword actually a lot of people buy newspaper especially now new people buy the physical newspaper for the crossword right? yeah
1: yeah i mean a million people a, a, a day do one i think in in britain so there are, there's still a lot of people doing them i think paul his real name is john halpin is is sort of like the most prolific he sets for all the Fraud and he's he's one of the ones who makes a living at it. And when he was younger, he was a massive fan of uh, the Reverend John Graham, I think his real name was, who was Araucaria, who was like the legendary guardian setter of the day. Uh, and John and, and the two Johns got in touch, and and John Halpin, the, uh, the young man at university who wanted to become crossword setter, got invited to lunch uh, by Carrier, and he picked him up at the station, uh, and and John describes but I think it was like getting into a battered old Mini and realising, oh, this is not a good course in life. This is the most highly regarded crossword setter there has ever been. And he's driving a 15-year-old shit Mini.
0: When a crossword setter invites another crossword setter to lunch, do they do it with a, with a cryptic clue to say where it's going to be and what time it's going to be? LAUGHTER
1: um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you don't realise I'm constantly inviting you out to social uh, okay. events. <laughs> within
0: it's, it's actually yeah, you've you just been
1: missing them. That they, been the received. invitations have existed.
0: So and also I want to know how do people? Why? Do, hey, why do crossword setters? I'm going to just talk about crosswords yeah, for now. I think we can yeah, do it. Okay. Why do crossword setters have to not just use their actual names? Why does a bloke called John call himself Paul? <laughs> That's not even that, diff, you know, not even, like, an exciting name.
1: No, it's not. And, and in that instance, and I'm only doing this because it's you, I'm going to pull the rug from under you because he's called himself Paul in honour of his dead brother. So now oh. you feel shit.
0: Um, but <laughs> Why bring his dead brother down by pretending he does crosswords? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I,
1: I don't know why people, we have to have pseudonyms, but yeah. it's, it's, it's part of the thing. So when I was younger, um, this is like, so when, when Sudoku, Sudoku became big or yeah. whatever, like every time the Sudoku printed in the paper, there was a little paragraph at the side of it saying, all the numbers, one to nine, fit in every row and every button. And there was a little explanation of how the puzzle works so that anyone could look at it and go, oh, right, and try and begin solving it. And cryptic crosswords, and it's not a thing I like about them, they are opaque and they seem to enjoy the idea that a beginner would look at it and go, well, that makes no fucking sense, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and as a, when I was like 13, 14, it was seeing something in the paper that made no sense really annoyed me. And so I started holding on to yesterday's newspaper and looking at the answers the next day and going, why is that, that? And I sort of worked it out for myself yeah. through sheer determination to not not understand something. And I think... Cross, the crossword world would benefit itself by being a bit more open and sharing more of how it works and i think the pseudonyms is all part of that cloak and dagger bullshit yeah.
2: um
1: and that, that makes it feel like a world that's not for you even though it is for you i know like one of the things um there there are some people like like everything in in the world of comedy there's sort of chortle and what they think of you is important and even though it's not important in the wider world and in crosswords there are blogs that review every single broadsheet crossword and what the the 50 people who comment on that is seen as really important and it's not fucking important because there's a million people doing them and only 50 people on this website and that's not actually that important but amongst those people there are some people who really like me and there are a couple of people who hate me (laughs) with a passion and uh, it's I don't know, it's partly because they see me as an outsider who shouldn't have been allowed in, and I've been welcomed in, and it's partly because I'm a little bit earthier than okay. some... But it, 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 people who don't do CryptoCross Saying it's all about Greek gods and Roman things and opera and Wagner and knowing all those sort of things, and I'll do cues about, clues about Beyonce and Pooh and Wee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and the people who want it to all be about opera and Greek gods really hate me doing clues about poo. So the poo
0: poo comes down in in the O of Beyonce. P (laughs) and we. Not not poo and Beyonce. Uh,
1: Okay, I haven't yet included poo and Beyonce. Okay. But I have done clues about Beyoncé and clues about Pooh separately. Could
0: yeah. How, but how? So you say you don't like the, the pseudonyms, and, but you've got loads of them. Well, I've I've got three of them because you have yeah. to have one. Okay. For them. And so, how did yeah. you choose your your names?
1: Uh, well, the Independent, uh, I am Bluth, B L U T H, and that is because in Gaelic, uh, Gorm is blue, okay. and Anne is the. Right, and so Gorman is Blue the, and I took the E's off because it made a nicer word, and also I'm a really big fan of Arrested Development. Okay, um, and I was eating a frozen banana at the time, <laughs> <laughs> so that seemed like a good idea. Okay, uh, in the Telegraph I'm Django. Okay, uh, and that's David James and Gorman, which is my name, yeah. sort of condensed, and uh, in the Guardian I'm Fed. And in American slang, a fed would be also a G-man. So, like, the FBI are feds or G-men, and I'm a G-man. So, that that did that. Yeah. There you go. Is that happy now? Yeah, I'm very happy. Did it make you you
0: happy when you came up with those? (laughs) I'm going to be fed. No, you just have to have one. (laughs) What would yours be, Richard? Um, Mine would be... um, well, I did. I would nearly came. I tried to come up with a pseudonym for writing, right? Which I I don't think I'm ever going to do because I got thought. I, you know, people don't take me seriously as a writer because I'm a comedian. So I might come up with a pseudonym for writing. what did I come up with? It was Rufus. What do you think you are? <laughs> Rufus. <laughs> well, because I thought like would I would I get like a, J.K. Rowling? Would I get like a novel published? If if you, if you send it as Richard Herring, then yeah. you know they're going nah. But if you send it in as I came, I think I came up with something like. Rufus for red and the Spanish for herring which I can't remember what it was now but it was, a, it was far enough away right. from herring. So I'd probably do something around, around red herring right? and then my name's Herring.
2: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: And also R for
0: Richard begins with R.
1: So it's R herring. I love the idea that you think it would be somehow easier to get a novel published if you were unknown. <laughs> It's like you haven't been awake in the world for the last... it
0: <laughs> be easier for me. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because a uh, crossword clue yeah. is sort of like a really annoying joke. Yeah. yeah. They're like jokes, but they, you have to work them out and then go, ah. Oh. <laughs> so it's sort of like, a, so I think as a yeah. comedian, you're, you are, they're witty, your, your clues are very witty, I think.
1: Um I, I think some of them might qualify as that. Yeah. But which yeah. is
0: which is when it's the, there there are those clues in crosswords that you kind of go that is very nice that's, yeah. what, what are your favorite of your own or other people's clues that are those sort of witty?
1: Um oh now I mean that's have too got, that's you, too high a bar it, to set is isn't it because now I've got a, my answer is supposed to be witty. Well but will also need to be explained.
0: Yeah. But it also doesn't have to be that funny because it's still a crossword that's clue. That's true. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, so, the, thing, the, the, thing, the, the worst thing you can say to a crossword setter and the thing that people always say is, bloody hell, it's like 3-2-bloody-1, mate! <laughs> um, which I know is a very old reference, but I still said every time I publish a crossword, somebody says that to me. For those young people who don't know it, 3-2-1 was an ITV game show in the 80s hosted by Ted Rogers and, and the contestants would be given clues throughout the game. Yeah, that's it. 3, uh, <laughs> three, two, one. Um, I think it was Un Dos Tres on Spanish TV before right. it was on uh, British TV. Anyway, they'd do sort of like variety acts and at the end of each act they'd give a clue and put it on the table. It'd be a physical object and also some written text. And they would have to try and work out what it was a clue to and they'd whittle it down until they had one clue left and that was their prize. And the booby prize was Dusty Bin and the star prize be a holiday or a caravan or a car or whatever and the clues made no sense deliberately made no sense were packed with ambiguity and had no correct answer so somebody would give them a a physical object would be like a key and the clue would say it's got wheels it will take you away you'll be packing your bags for this one And you go, oh, we think it's this one, Ted. We think it's going to be a holiday. And they go, well, it's got wheels. A car's got wheels. A caravan's got wheels. But Dusty Bin's got wheels. (laughs) Oh, it'll take you away. You could get taken away in a bin, couldn't you? (laughs) You'll be packing your bin bags. They're bin bags. It's Dusty Bin. (laughs) And no clue had a correct answer. Like You could absolutely invent two different realities for every single clue. And nobody in the entire, you might guess correctly what it was, you might say, I think it's a car, and it would be the car, but you wouldn't have given the explanation that Ted then gave when he read the monologue <laughs> that came with it. Whereas cryptic crossword clues have a correct answer. Every word is employed in it. And, and at the beginning or end of the clue is just the same as a quick crossword clue. Mm-hmm. There's an actual definition in it. So you can't cheat, you can't have it mean one thing or another thing or whatever, because you actually have to have the same as a normal crossword clue built into it. So, for example, one of mine um, that upset a few people uh, (laughs) was... uh, C7 are made poorly eating supermarket crabs, for example. Okay. Okay. So... And this is very hard to do just in your head. It's much easier (laughs) to explain if you can write stuff down. But take the letters in the words C7R Mm -hmm. and now make them poorly. So you make an anagram of the words C7R. And then that anagram is eating a supermarket. And that supermarket is Aldi, A-L-D-I. And if you put that in the middle of an anagram of C7R you get venereal disease, (laughs) which is crabs, for example. So if it was a quick crossword clue, it would say crabs, for example, and the answer would be venereal disease, and you wouldn't think that was impossible. You'd get some crossword, you'd work it out, but you've got all this help to help you work it out. And the people who were upset with it were upset for two reasons. One, that it's venereal disease, but two, it was fucking Aldi. (laughs) <laughs> like and that's lowering the tones of crosswords already <laughs> before we get to the answer mate um so they they don't like me being a bit sort of um common yeah i'm yeah. well it's good
0: it's good you're, you're kicking up in the crossword <laughs> world <laughs> well it's also
1: what's awesome. it's sort of um <laughs> it's <laughs> like I, we last time i was here or maybe one time i was here with you we talked about it's a It makes me giggle so much. There was a review from some Newcastle comedy website that I got, which... We couldn't read... Neither of us could read it with a straight face. It's something about, if Frankie Boyle is the Mick Jagger of comedy, Dave Gorman is the Ringo Starr. Yeah. I mean, it was a really odd thesis that the guy had. Um, But... I'm not a bad boy of comedy. (laughs) So it's kind of fun
0: being the bad boy of (laughs) crosswords. That became like a running question. I can't quite remember what happened, but I remember someone writing in and they thought that Mick Jagger was Muck Jagger. (laughs) So they wrote, they, they wrote in an answer to the question I think, with like an essay about it, but called it <laughs> Mick Jagger, Muck Jagger. <laughs> so they were listen up thinking, Frankie Ball is the Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> I the don't, I, uh,
1: no, I've not got to the bottom of it. No? But yeah, no, so I'm, I'm a sort of, you know, I'm a clean cut, nice boy of comedy, but
0: <laughs> filthy in crossword <laughs> By their standards. Very good. Um, You are still being a comedian though, though not through lockdown obviously so much, but you've come back and working on a new show. Yeah, I've
1: I've done, I did three new material nights in in Clapham to find myself, you know, enjoy it again and it was, I really, really enjoyed it and there's there's sort of a tour in there, I just don't know when that's going to happen, it's all, it's all. It's like you basically have to book a tour about a year in advance, and at the moment all the theaters are full of all the people whose tours got cancelled the first time. Yeah. So there's this backlog of of people sort of getting out of there, and also I've spent two years at home with my wife and son, and it's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like it. Yeah. So maybe I have retired to Bournemouth <laughs> to, to write cryptic crosswords in a shed. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to tour at some point, but I don't know when.
0: And it's still you're still with the doing the PowerPoint stuff within this show. That's that's because you've always throughout your career you've sort of reinvented yourself quite regularly, I think. As a, yeah. You started out doing poetry and yeah. And spoken, you know, and then you've, you've moved yeah. through these different Yeah, there would be sort of like
1: three incarnations, yeah. I think, of of it. But that's because I get bored um, and, and want to do new stuff. But no, the, the, the PowerPoint stuff with it, I'm, I'm still excited by and it's still interesting to me and it still allows me to do jokes about things I can't do just verbally. And it's, it's like having a double act, but I don't have to pay my partner because <laughs> I can be saying... One, you know, it's a classic, thick trope of comedy. You're saying one thing but meaning another, and I can be saying one thing and the screen can be proving me wrong behind me or whatever. We can literally have interplay between me and it. Yeah. And I, I think normally in an hour and a half show I run through about 600 to 700 slides. So I'm, I'm literally sort of... It's changing every 20 seconds or something. It's like it's a constant to and fro between me and it. Which I really like, and I don't know how to replace that. That sort of feels like a really useful device. Still. Is it
0: cheating to have interplay with your <laughs> with your screen during a show? Is that cheating on your partner, or is it you're allowed to have interplay with a with PowerPoint? Do, do you know what the word interplay means?
1: <laughs> it sounds like? You don't know what okay, the word interplay I'm, means.
0: I might be I might be making up my, yeah. <laughs> my own definitions. Um, <laughs> So you don't you don't you don't know whether that's so you've you've done some a couple of gigs post. I've done I've done three gigs yeah. post lockdown
1: and um, and they were really exciting to be back. It was really well, it's just nice to be out of the house, um. But it was they were really really good fun. I really liked it. And there's sort of thirty or forty minutes of it in particular that I thought I really want to tour that. That's really fun to do. It's got a sort of I don't know, a, a quality to it straight out of the gate. Normally you do new stuff and you go, oh, I can work on that, oh, there's something in that. And there was about 30 minutes of it where I thought, oh, that's ready, I could okay. just do it, and that's really exciting, Yeah, because I was like,
0: that's enough, pad that out.
1: the magic trick, isn't it? <laughs> and then there's an hour of other stuff which I know is is nearly there and is just right and...
0: do some crosswords skew <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> just put them uh, up and d- don't move to the next one until everyone's worked it out, but they're not, yeah. allowed, to, they're not allowed to talk to each other. No conferring, no conferring, <laughs> I kick yeah. <laughs> I think you can make it work.
1: Yeah, I, I will do it, I just don't know when to do it because there's this sort of... Yeah. I'm still waiting for the chaos to sort of move through the theatres and stuff.
0: Yeah. But Did you sort of? It sounds like you sort of enjoyed lockdown, you know, aside from the people dying and all that sort of stuff. That was sad. That was sad. Yeah. Um, We're
1: alive though, right? So we we got through it. I, I think enjoyed is pushing it. I, okay. I I sort of think I think it's true for a lot of people. I'm a bit nostalgic for the first lockdown. Right. That was all right. Um, at the time. Later on. My, my boy was in school and, and we were doing homeschooling and it was harder. But in the first lockdown he was in nursery, so we were paddling pool in the garden and it was quite nice. And, and he, he was sort of also reached an age where he could go for a three or four mile walk, which he'd never really been able to do until then. And that was just sort of, it was kind of, that, there's, there's stuff to enjoy about that first lockdown. The bad stuff is that he didn't see another child for about three months. Mm. And so he played with us differently. Because I would sort of got used to the idea that sometimes playing with him means being in the same room as him while he plays. (laughs) But that wasn't good enough when he didn't have children to play with. So he started doing this thing of sort of... I go, right, I'm a dinosaur and you're my egg. I'm going to lay you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Okay. fine. And then you sort of curl yourself up on the living room floor and he'd sit on you and go, I'm laying you now.
0: Laying you now.
1: And you'd come out of it going... Wah. And he'd go, no, Daddy, you're doing it wrong. And go, well, how am I doing it wrong? We're long necks. Oh. No, you're doing it wrong! And he'd get really angry with me. And when you see kids playing with each other in role play like this, they sort of muddle along with it and they'll make up their own rules as they go, but a grown-up can't do it. You just can't do it. It was like being a member of an impro troupe (laughs) where the boss was constantly furious. (laughs) And we're just dying for him to meet other children. And, and get that out of his system with them instead of with us, and so like, when we did the one of the later lockdowns and he was then in school, um, and we were doing the homeschooling, we one of his best friends from school, his parents have got two kids, and they've both got full time jobs and they're both working from home and they were in a real tough situation, and they're also doing things like they're teaching there. Nine year old French, and neither of them speak French. And it's like you've reached a level where you're actually teaching, even at nine, you're teaching them stuff you don't know. Yeah. Which at least wasn't the case in reception. You know, we, I could handle the homeschooling there. And we got in touch with his best mate's parents and said, Can we have your boy one day a week? We'll take him off your hands. Right. Because we'll homeschool two kids and we'll just not do the homeschooling that day. We'll let them play. It'll be great. And, and we'll have a nice time, and it'll be easier for him. And, and we put so much social capital in the bank because we asked for nothing in return. We <laughs> appeared to be angels saying, we will take one of your children off your hands one day a week, free of charge, gratis, nothing required in return. And they were so bloody grateful, <laughs> but so were we because we had this other boy on Tuesdays and he could be a fucking egg. LAUGHTER that's, that's a weight off our mind. And shoulders, literally. And, um, uh, and, and, and we've had favours in return, you know. The, yeah. uh, our boy's since things have lifted, but he's had a sleepover at there, so we can have a night out. And we've basically got endless capital in the bank <laughs> with that couple. They don't realise quite how over a
0: barrel they are now. Yeah. Hopefully they're not listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gorman, <laughs> the Gormans, why have you done that? Um, I'm going to ask you some would you rather Look, I've got, a, I've got a would you craft rather question that isn't the book, this is just based on... Like, you know, I don't know if my mind's just addling as I get old, right? And I talked about the other week, uh, mo- I was moving logs... I got lo- a log delivery for our fire. <laughs> that's, that's where we are now, writing crosswords and getting logs. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was throwing the logs into the log store... And it's sort of like a game of Tetris thought it might quite a good Taskmaster game for, for right, so yeah. if you can get them into the gaps. But then I started thinking of things from the perspective of the logs, right? If you were a log, yeah. if you were a log that was meant to be burnt on a fire, would yeah. you rather be at the back of the log store, like deep in where you're not going to get picked out very soon, or at the front of the log store where you get... So I would just think from a... Do you think the logs want to be burned or do they want to stay at the the back of the log store?
1: I think if the log is sentient, yeah, it probably most wants to be a tree. <laughs> I think we've already crossed the Rubicon think, from the log's <laughs> point of view, yeah. when it was that cut down and logged. Yeah.
0: Um, so given that... What if the log became sentient once the tree was cut into bits? In that instance... <laughs> And it's meant to be a firewood log, but does it want to live as a log and be at the back and maybe because what happens when another log delivery comes and the ones at the back pretty much stay at the back forever?
1: Then I imagine in this scenario where logs become sentient when they're chopped up and turned into logs. Yeah. Then the logs become sentient at the point at which their destiny is to be burned. And they are showbiz logs that want to be fucking burned and they want to be at the front that doing says their job.
0: A lot. See, it says a lot about you, that answer. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. It says a lot about the people. That one didn't make the book. Because, you know, I came up with it more recently. If it would be, it would be all the book, if I'd. <laughs> would you rather be sent to Coventry or have the scent of Coventry? <laughs>
1: How long am I sent to Coventry for?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it's also—is I, 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 it literal or figurative? Yeah, is yeah. A, is a, well, like, you, you can decide that yourself. I'd say, I'd say it was a permanent, uh, permanent thing. You either you're either sent to Coventry, either literally or figuratively, or you smell of Coventry forever.
1: I'd, I'd, I'd smell of Coventry forever. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that anyone has ever in a blind smell test identified Coventry.
0: (laughs) I don't feel like that's a thing. I I don't think it would be a nice smell. It would be all the scents of Coventry. All of them? Well, they'd all be and then distilled into one scent. I mean, it wouldn't be so powerful as like a concentrated smell of everything in Coventry, but it would be the distilled, they'd put everything in Coventry in a smell chamber and whisk it all together. And then they'd spray that onto you and you would have the scent of Coventry. I mean,
1: it feels like it would be hard to do this without destroying Coventry. <laughs> and they tried that once, Rich.
0: And I don't think we're on their side. Coventry rose from the flame. You can't destroy it. It comes back stronger. <laughs> Very. I remember that. It's one of my earliest memories is going to Coventry Cathedral and that big picture of the mural of Jesus on the wall of it. Absolutely fucking terrifying. Yeah. And I put the fear. You, do you know the picture? There's a, like a massive thing of just Jesus. I'm you know, looking at it again. It's not as bad as I remember it being. It's not as scary, but I was absolutely. But did you believe scared. in Jesus then? Yeah, I think so. And he looked and he was big and he was coming off the wall at me. And yeah. and they already destroyed one cathedral behind the one he was in. <laughs> and he was coming for another one. Coventry's nice. I'm not having to go to Coventry though. I will never gig inside of Coventry. I bet, I, will, I bet you play the University of Warwick. I have, but it's far which enough is away. In, it's not. The postcode
1: <laughs> is CV4, for fuck's sake. University of Warwick, postcode CV4. It's in fucking
0: Coventry. But it's far enough away. Um, this is towards the end of the book. When I, when I, when I was running oh, out Oh no,
1: of, don't, don't read it. I don't want to know how it ends. When I was,
0: when I was running out of ideas. Would you rather be able to fart the blockbusters theme tune or own a cat? <laughs> Got to do another 20 of them. Put that one out. Um, well, I mean, I do own a cat. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Would I have to give up my cat? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh. But you'd be able to fart the block... I imagine when it's that, it's the entire thing as well. So it'd oh, have just, to be. Yeah, yeah, it's not just like... And then you'd run out, you'd be... And in tune and harmonies and stuff. And would I never be allowed another cat? Um, Your cat would be taken away. She mainly... And you wouldn't be allowed... This is tricky, because
1: our cat went missing for five weeks earlier this year. It was very traumatic, and we were very upset. And then she she was found, and because she's tagged, we got her back. So I've, I've... I've sensed, touched the grief of losing a cat, but fuck it, I'd have the Blockbusters. I would as (laughs) well. I think, I mean, to be able to fart something that would make everyone of a certain generation hand jive (laughs) would be a remarkable party piece. Uh, And anyone who could fart the theme tune to Blockbusters and couldn't parlay that into untold riches doesn't deserve the gift.
0: I agree. I think you would definitely... Mean, yes, I don't know if, they were, if the raw Variety... It would definitely be in the raw Variety performance, one year. It's, there isn't enough TV shows. In the old days there were TV shows where someone who could do something like that would just crop, on them, uh, crop up on them every now and again, wouldn't they?
1: Play a mule train with yeah. a tea tray on their head. <laughs> yeah. That guy. Yeah. And ones. they wouldn't have to do anything else. Yeah. They'd just have yeah, their yeah. one thing
0: and they could... <laughs> and then you'd play all the theatres, but yeah. I don't know if that's got... Cause it, I feel can- like
1: you'd absolutely blitz week one on Britain's Got Talent, (laughs) but then have nothing left of the final. (laughs) I mean, it's a guaranteed golden buzzer on week one. Uh, And then normally people are coming back with bigger and better acts and you're just... Have to reincarnate Bob Holness to try and add something to it.
0: (laughs) All right, we'll do one more and we'll get back to the proper, proper questions. Hold on. Oh, this well, this is interesting. This is a showbiz question for you. Would you rather be a mime or one of those people who pretends to be a statue? If you had to work outdoors, oh, Um, it's not a nice choice, Dave. No,
1: I'll I'll go with the mime. Yeah, yeah, because
0: you get to move around a bit. Yeah,
1: I I did do some street theatre once. Yeah.
0: That's why I thought. Yeah, that.
1: you didn't know that.
0: I did, I thought no. you did some juggling or something. Was some... No,
1: I I I I did street theatre once. Oh right. Okay. Um, and it was it was awful. What did um, you do in your act? Uh, mine. I, I did it with a mate of mine. Okay. Um, we had met a really brilliant street artist guy called Pepe who did this workshop with us, um, and he's. He was an amazing bloke. Traveled around the world. I think he lived in Coventry. Okay, actually, um, very fragrant man. Um, he should have lived this weird itinerant life because he was he was a mime and he so his act worked internationally, and he'd just travel the world. This month was Montreal. This month was Edinburgh. This month was here. You know, like literally did that, and he'd go back home once a year and almost always. Um, get his wife pregnant and then go back off on the road. It was a really weird... Ind- I was like 14 when I met him. He was really sort of engaging and funny and interesting. Uh, and a mate of mine, um, uh, Seymour and, and I, tried doing an act once. We were two of the people from the workshop who actually had the cojones to go, all right, we'll give it a go. Yeah. And it's really hard <laughs> without a roof and trying to get people to stop and whatever. We sort of mirrored. Um, we mirrored an existing sort of street act where people would get a member of the audience out, and they would juggle things past their face. Uh, but we did it with that person blindfold, and the audience in on the joke that we weren't doing that. Okay. Uh, so one person thought we were on unicycles <laughs> juggling heavy things right past their face Well, actually we were rushing our fingers in front of his (laughs) face like that and trying to make an audience laugh at the idea that this person thought it was real okay which sort of worked on a very small level but we never got the the crowd to the tipping point you need to make money doing that so we then gave up and went home
0: That's a good idea, yeah. though. I, yeah. like, I, like the, I like the thought behind. We that. work
1: with the idea that we couldn't do all any of the actual stuff.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can
1: juggle a little, but not that.
0: It's a good way to improve. If you can get everyone to keep the pretense up forever, it's a good yeah. way to make one person think you're amazing. Yeah, oh, it's I a shame you
1: didn't see that. There, there
0: might well be one person who still thinks <laughs> it happened to him. I don't know, but that was that was what we did. Um, I d- I, d- I was thinking about both of us, and we've lived. We've lived. You know, we've had a sort of. Sp- similar-ish sort of career in many ways. And I, I was wondering if there's any other point in history you and I could have made a living doing, <laughs> what, doing what we do. We're sort of essentially top playing and doing, you know, and, and trying crazy stuff out and doing it. And a lot of your stuff, obviously, is big, big uh commitments in yeah, terms of going yeah. around the world and and finding all these different people do you think there's an, another time in history if you hadn't been born in the 60s or 70s of the last century to now <laughs> that you could have lived the sort of lived and made a living from the sort of things that you and also I
1: um pro- probably th- not th- but it's th- probably not just the time it's also the place I would have think I would have thought, yeah. like Britain is particularly uniquely placed for that I don't know that there's anything Similar happening in other parts of Western Europe, even. There's something of Britain's relationship with comedy is different. Yes. um, And stuff. And America is different again. I don't think it could survive in any other ecosystem, let alone time. Yeah. Um, No, I'd have to invent PowerPoint first (laughs) as well. It'd be tricky.
0: But even for the... so Some of the things that you did... Like, a, the internet would have, and, and the technology would have ruined... I mean, the Dave Gorman, are you Dave Gorman, would sort of been ruined, wouldn't it, at the, at, at Yeah. the first step if the internet well, had people, been a People
1: thing. now conflate Google Act Adventure and I, Dave Gorman, so I get lots of messages still from people who think I Googled all my namesakes, right. because they've yeah. confused those two things. Whereas, actually, I, Dave Gorman, like you say, it actually sort of exists at a moment, kind of almost just before Google becomes the go-to resource that it now is. Yeah. It's the reason I said no to a sequel to that, is, is the, the first series was a thing that had actually happened and then got turned into a TV show. Yeah, And then the idea of doing it with the backing of, of, of a TV company again, we go, well, there'd be no jeopardy. Yeah, We'd just get a research and we'd find them all. And there wouldn't be, a, it was a story about how we went from one to another and series two would be, and then we got some other people to do all that. <laughs> and I thought, that that's shit. Yeah. That's, that's not engaging to me. So, and like you say, if if Google had just been there and you'd been able to go, well, we found all of them. <laughs> that's not a story. No. And it's about that, not about who they are or who I am or anything. Yeah. It's about where we went and why. So, yeah, I'm not interested but, you,
0: in but it's sort of always interesting about that. those shows from that time, even the... Uh, Reasons to be cheerful. Uh, one was that it was the, the, the you allowed the, the it was the about the adventure more than about what the the type of the show was. So you allowed the, yeah. you allowed that to um, yeah. I'm,
1: that's I think of all the things I've done, that's the the biggest leap in the dark. That's the beginning of all the other things that I've, I've had any kind of success with was that one, and that was I've I'd, I'd been going up to Edinburgh two or three times. And I'm sure audiences don't give a shit, and I don't think comedians should moan about it, but essentially a lot of people just go up and lose a lot of money in Edinburgh. It's so expensive, it's such a competitive field. You can sell out, and the first time I did a one-man show in Edinburgh, if I'd sold every single ticket, I would have lost four grand. And that's the economics of of Edinburgh, certainly how it was. It's worse now. It's worse, though. yeah. Uh, although there's also the free fringe, and <laughs> yeah, things yeah, have yeah, come true. to sort of combat that, and that, that sort of didn't exist when, when we were starting there. So that was the reality of it. And I just thought there's something really perverse about this whole industry going to this city for a month to watch you. I lived in Manchester at the time, but I was on the, you know, coming down and doing London gigs quite a lot. And the purpose of Edinburgh, effectively, was to lose money but hopefully be seen by a TV executive. And I said, well, but I'm, I'm gigging in Islington and in Crouch End. I'm gigging five minutes from their house <laughs> and not losing money. Why have we all got to go there to lose money to have them see me do that thing they could have seen me do five minutes from their house? Sure. And I have a very sort of... Distinct and very fond memory of, of sitting with my manager and saying, I think Edinburgh's fucked. I think if I'm going to risk all that money, I should be doing something creatively risky as well. I, I don't want to do my club act. I want to create a show for this that I don't know if it's good or not. I want to find out whether I can do something different. And him getting really sort of twitchy about it. <laughs> and all I had I said, I, I want to do a show about the lyrics. Do we endure his song, Reasons to Be Cheerful? And he said, have you thought about doing one about a more popular song? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not interested, that's not the point. It has to be, it's the, it's, it's, it's the not knowing how that will go is what excites me. I'm not gonna go and lose five grand doing something that earns me a living the rest of the year. I want to take a creative risk. And he said, right, well, let's get previews as early as we can so we can find out and then you can not put yourself in the brochure if it's if it's too weird or something. So I did a gig at Battersea Arts Centre and I hadn't really written the whole show and I was prepared to sort of go, well, I've written this bit and I'll have to tell the audience there's a gap here, but I'm going to get to these lyrics and I'll get through it. And, and I started and I sort of, basically, there's, my reasoning was there's about 57 reasons to be cheerful in the song and I thought I'll do a bit of material about each of them. Once you've done that and told the punter to turn the phone off in the 16th minute, said hello and goodbye, that's probably an hour, that'll that'll be okay. Um, And again, this is kind of before the internet. You couldn't Google the lyrics, and they're quite hard to hear. And I tried finding them in different ways, and at one point, I went to the British Library to find a copy of Smash Hits, and it was the one that was missing. And then on my way back home to Manchester, I stopped at my mum's in Stafford... ...and I found the copy of the magazine I'd been looking for in my childhood bedroom. I'd I'd owned it all along. Um, So I found the lyrics and things. So when I did the preview show in Battersea, the very first one... ...it was like a hostage situation. It lasted over two hours. (laughs) And when I got to the gaps in the story... And I started explaining, I was like, the the reason I haven't got this bit is I couldn't work out what the lyrics were in verse two. But to find them out, I did this, and I went here, and I did this, and I went there, and I went to the British Library, and this happened, then on my way home, I found that. And that was getting bigger laughs than all the jokes I'd written in the first bit. And it was, like, it was way too long, and it wasn't, I'm not pretending it was a great gig, but the audience were engaged in it for the full two hours. Like the audience were not going, oh, fucking let us out. (laughs) The audience was like, this is weird, but carry on. And I, I sort of knew there was something in it, and every time I did a preview, I'd take more jokes out and put more story in, and it got funnier. And by the end of it, it had one joke in. <laughs> and it was all the story of how I'd gone here and done this and yeah. found this bit. And so I sort of, the show I ended up with was sort of what should have been a DVD extra of the making of the show I intended to make. I just yeah. never made that show. I made this storytelling show instead. but it, like it was a discovery. I discovered this thing I could do, which was tell stories about how things had happened and where i'd gone, and have the evidence and it was all i didn 't do PowerPoint in those days I had a an overhead projector, like your geography teacher used to use, and a slide projector, and I was running between the two, putting documents on one and photos on the other and like running <laughs> around and being really physical on the stage and it just it, it transformed my life yeah because suddenly I discovered a different way of making an audience laugh sure and it was really exciting (laughs) and the other thing it did because when I did stand-up when you're doing stand-up especially in like Edinburgh and it's a one-man show people come on into sit in the audience and they see a microphone in a stand on the stage in a spotlight and they go all right stand-up I know that I know what I'm doing here and a lot of them are people who wanted to see somebody else but their show's full and so they've they've ended up seeing you instead and if they wanted to see Frank Skinner, they'll come and tell you afterwards that you weren't blue enough. And if they wanted to see David Mitchell, they'll come up and tell you afterwards you weren't clever enough. And they, they all think, I know what stand-up is, and that's not it. <laughs> but when they walk into a theatre and sit down, and there isn't a stand with a microphone in, it in the middle, there's two projector screens, and there's an overhead projector here, and a slide projector there. They go, fucking hell, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and they accept it. And you don't have to persuade them to come to your thing anymore. They go, oh. This must be a thing. I've never seen anyone do this before. Always quite clever, and they they get into it in a different way, and they don't have that preconceived notion of what it should be. Yeah, which is really useful.
0: Yeah, but then you've created, you know, that out of that, and sort of accidentally or you know, yeah. organically, you've created a, a, I mean, more or less a new genre, right? I mean, there were people who who did had screens and things and might have illustrations of their show, but I think the the adventure part of it, yeah, certainly for those next few shows that was it was all about can i can I achieve this in time? what will happen if I attempt this?
1: Yeah, I think the the danger is that can become a contrivance, yeah, and there's a sort of um, my favorite ever review was for, I think it was for Google Act, and the, the guy said, I hate Dave Gorman. I didn't want to review Dave Gorman. I've seen so many people fucking copying Dave Gorman, and he's created all this shit. <laughs> but I had to go and watch this. Oh, oh my God, it's actually fucking good. <laughs> and he was so surprised that he liked it that it, it makes for this really amazing review. Yeah. And the thing that he'd seen, the reason he didn't like me, I think and I I know I'm blowing smoke up my own fundament, and I apologise, was he'd seen things. His view of what I did was, having never seen it, but he thinks I'm walking on stage and saying, hi, my name's Dave Gorman, and I want to meet as many people called Dave Gorman as I can. Let's go. And (laughs) who gives a shit about that? And actually, the first 15 minutes of that show is me saying, so I was here, and I was having this conversation, and somebody said this, and then I found out this. And one and together, so we ended up getting on a train, went here to meet... And 15 minutes in, everyone's thinking, well, of course, we're going to try and find another one. <laughs> because they've gone on the journey with you and discovered how and why you're doing it. And the reason you're doing it isn't, I've got an idea for a show, I'm going to do this thing. And he imagined that's all it was. Yeah, yeah. And then he's seen another one, and, and effectively, I've tickled the trout. I've, I've, he's gone, Ah, oh, it's not all made up and hokey. It's actually real, and he's, fall, he's got into it. And it's a it's, delight. Like, and I, and I, I think I suffered from, and the reason I sort of retreated after a while of doing it was people think you're going, I've got another wacky idea. Let's go. And it's, I think that's shit as well.
0: <laughs> well, you've got, you, I think you, you know, because it would have to escalate, it would have to get bigger and bigger, I think. And, and yeah. also, it's so, of, it's so of a time in a person's life. Yes. That you would be able to do. If you went out and now went, I'm going, sorry, family, I'm going around the world <laughs> to find everyone with the exact same penis as me, and I'm going to put that in a show. It's a good idea, actually. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it would, it, we couldn't, you couldn't do it as a middle aged man. No. But, and, and even as a, again, it's this sort of, pri- it is a sort of privileged position, isn't it? That, uh, yeah. That yeah. we found, that we have, as comedians, have found ourselves in, in the. You, you know there's nothing else and 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 in a way a non-privileged position right in our 30s both of us were able to do things like that yes because we had nothing in our life <laughs> <laughs> beyond our job and our job yeah, yeah. was to yeah, be yeah. a silly prick and see what and see what came of that right. and 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 see what you could make out of that yeah and
1: there is a sort of um it's a it's a rewarding it's a, well, it's a self-feeding thing because you end up in a position where I think part of the appeal for it is, or was for it, that um, if you're having a dinner party conversation, right, and you are the sort of person who's got a log store, so that you might be yeah. having a dinner party conversation, and somebody says, oh, I got an email at work today, and it was, uh, it was sent to the wrong person, because it turns out I've got the same name as a guy in Amsterdam, people might go oh you should go and meet him and you can't because you've got a car on the drive and a mortgage and a kid and a dog to walk and you've got to do the school run and you can't do it and being the person who's able to go i'll go and do that i'll do it tomorrow (laughs) is a really liberating thing and then when telling people about it is rewarded you maintain your ability to <laughs> to do it because yeah. you, in doing it, you also inhibit your chances of of having a dog <laughs> and a school run <laughs> and a thing because you're constantly away and travelling and doing this, that and the other. And, you know, like, I ended up... I sort of toured Google Act for, like, three years and did, like, eight months in the States with it, where yeah. I sort of... Which, I looked, but you know, there was times where it was really, really exciting, but that's also eight months where... I didn't really see a friend and I was just by myself in America with a tour manager I didn't like very much. and It was just (laughs) sort of weird and I wouldn't want to go back and do it. I'm kind of glad I did it, although there were some weird (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was a section in that show where I talked about creationism Uh, and in some parts of America that did not (laughs) go over especially well. And I was in one place, I think it was in Cleveland, I can't remember. Uh, and for some reason, a lot of the theatres had, had booked me for a week... ...and some of them insisted on having matinees as well. So there were, I was sometimes doing like two shows on Saturday... ...and, and then travelling on Sunday to a new town and doing another run. And some towns were great and some were horrible. And there's this one venue... ...and they basically nobody had bought a ticket for the matinee. It was a glorious theatre. We sort of had two nice nights in it. Three or four tough nights. ...and a matinee with nothing. Right. And what they ended up doing was contacting a local old people's home... <laughs> ...and bussing in a bunch of people who had never heard of me... ...have no desire to see a show... ...were just put on a bus and take them to a show... <laughs> ...to be performed by a reluctant man who thought... ...why didn't we all just say let's not do this show? This is silly. And when I got to the creationism bit there were walkouts but one of the walkouts was a guy with an oxygen tank. (laughs) And it had a wonky wheel on it. And the theatre was about four times as deep as this. And this very, very elderly man breathing into an oxygen tank with a big, heavy wheeze, taking one step at a time, at a time, and every step accompanied by a "Eh?" of the wonky wheel, I had a five minute long, noisy (laughs) walkout from an octogenarian who hadn't wanted to come in the first place. (laughs) That was a dark time on stage. (laughs) And difficult to do anything about. (laughs) Go, oh look at you, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, if you believe that this is God's plan and that creationism is correct, he hasn't dealt you a fucking great <laughs> hand, has he, mate? Come on.
0: <laughs> well, look, bloody hell. This is, I, I, I generally thought we'd done about 25 minutes and we've been uh, going a bit longer than that. So we'll it's have the to... crossword chat. It was good. The crossword chat was... i yeah. was, was I'm just trying to think up some clues. But I haven't got anything <laughs> yet. I was trying to think up a Ted Rogers, like Ted Rogers, and then a, you could have an anagram, couldn't you? Because Ted fucks... Yeah. Up the next bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ted Rogers three two one, and the answer is one hundred and twenty three. <laughs> but then Ted doesn't make up you need the Ted. The Ted needs to mean something.
1: Yeah, but maybe if you if it was uh, a down <laughs> clue and and you had the answers for three down, two oh. down, and one down. Yeah. Then Rogers three two one could be an anagram of the first three answers. All
0: right. Let's do that. That would that would work. Oh, it'd be so funny. It'd be so funny when they've worked it out. <laughs>
1: Once all the 35-year-olds all the have explained to them what Ted Rogers 321 is.
0: <laughs> right, I was going to ask you this, I'll ask you this I, don't, uh, this. I don't know why this came up today as I was just sitting there. Because I'm thinking about things like this all the time. One day will be the last time you are ever thought about. The last time a joke of yours is played or a book you've written is read. How many years in the future do you think that's going to be for you? <laughs> Because you die, right? There's, there's three yeah. deaths, are There's the death and there's your actual physical death, there's the death of everyone who knew you, and then there's the death of the, the last time you're remembered. Yeah. When do you think the last time you'll be remembered well, is? I reckon I've got 500 years. <laughs> <laughs> because I tell you why? Well, I, I because, think it's because you're including mentions of herring. <laughs> I think, because I've, I've written a daily blog for basically near, well, 19 years, and yeah. hopefully it'll be a few more years <laughs> than that. Yeah. Uh, and I think in 500 years, and it's being archived at the British Library, and I think in five years' time, someone might go, oh, I wonder what people in uh, 2020 were thinking about. Yeah. And the coronavirus was on, I'll look at that guy's blog. So that, that could still happen as an historical thing. That's my theory. Okay. 10,000 years.
1: <laughs> I... Um, I sort of, I want my obituary to be a sort of, um, a Shelley Winters obituary. Okay. A Shelley Winters obituary is when the moment you find out someone was still alive (laughs) is the moment you find out they are now dead. Yeah. (laughs) That you see the obituary and go, oh, fuck, I thought they died ages ago. (laughs) Oh they well, no, they're not. Yeah, they're dead. Um, and I, I want to be that. I want to yeah. have faded into oblivion and to have people think, because I haven't thought about him for ages. I thought he was dead. So you'd I like quite like to sort of just disappear. You'd like them.
0: people to have not thought about you while you're still alive. You're still yeah. alive and no one's thought about you.
1: Yeah. And then you yeah. die and they go, well, oh. not, not my family, but,
0: but I'd like my family
1: to still be thinking about me while I'm alive, but yeah. I, I, I like the idea of strangers ceasing to be concerned. Genuinely, I yeah, think it would nice. be, be nice to be able to, you know, be in an old folks' home thinking. <laughs> I can see it from that guy's point of view now with the <laughs> oxygen tank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and nobody else there knowing that's what's playing through your mind. That actually yeah. does appeal to me. So I'm sort of not worried about it. I have... Um, the word gorman has appeared in, in at least two other comedians' reviews. Right. And... That's a weird thing. That I, so there's the possibility of that existing. And so someone going, I wonder what that means. Yeah. And in a way, that would, that would count. Um, but um, I'm sort of... I'm, I'm, I'm kind of unconcerned about it because I will be dead. Yeah. So who cares?
0: Well, what if it's like uh, that film... Usually glib.
1: My now six-year-old is about death. Yeah. Are your How are your children?
0: Yeah, they about well, it? they talk about it a lot, but yeah. yeah, they don't really get what it is. Yeah, and yeah, they sort of. I don't think they understand the finality of it, but uh, I, I, maybe they do.
1: I think so. My mum was visiting recently, and. Uh, the the weekend she was visiting was the same weekend as they have the Bournemouth Air Show, which is like, there's like a million people come into town and the Red Arrows fly over and the, the, the French version of the Red Arrows fly over and it goes on for three days and it's a really big deal. And on the Monday morning, I was driving Eric to school and my mum wanted to come with him and have a look at his school from the car and whatever. Uh, and Eric had decided over the weekend that when he was older, he wants to be a Red Arrows pilot. Uh, so we're driving along and Eric says, I'm going to be a Red Arrows pilot when I'm older. And my mum says, well, I hope you'll give me a lift when, you, when you're Red Arrows. Can I have a, a, a lift in your plane? And he just went, you'll be dead by then. <laughs> 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 and he's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't deny the boy. He's right. And he, there's just lots of that at yeah. the moment. No, I, there, yeah, there is. Which I sort of think is, is okay, and, and it means we have lots of conversations about it and things.
0: Yeah.
1: And he wanted to. I, I have a. My mum's dad, there's a thing in my family called De Poitrians contraction or something. Which is Margaret Thatcher had it, Bill Nye's got it. Your fingers—they are are they in your family? No, but okay. It's a—it's also known <laughs> what a as family the, this is. It's a thing known as the Viking claw. Okay. Lots of people with Viking blood get it, and their fingers start to do that, and you can't straighten them. And and nowadays, my mum's got an operation for hers coming up in in a few days' time. My older brothers had it, my uncles had it. There's a lot of it in the family. Um, and but in the olden days, they couldn't do the operation they do now, and they. My granddad had. Two fingers missing on that hand and one on that hand because effectively you you end up with a useless hand unless you cut a finger off right uh, and for some reason i don't know how that came up in in a conversation but i told eric about my granddad having these missing fingers and like he sits on that information for three days and then says you know your granddad with fingers yeah will i ever meet him <laughs> Well, no, he's he's no longer alive. Why? (laughs) Because he'd be 130. (laughs) Oh, okay. Has he still not got his fingers? (laughs) Well, he hasn't got anything. But I'll never meet him. And he just sort of like the... Death is not an emotional thing to him. And he has said, will you die? And we've said, yes, we will. And he is not. Like, you feel like that's a really dangerous subject to broach with a child, and they're gonna have sleepless nights, and they're gonna be... And he's just not remotely worried about it. Maybe he's going on the killing spree. (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm gonna be talked about for 600 years as the father of a murderer.
0: Well, look, Dave. We're going to have, we have to wrap it up because we've done so such a long interview already, and it's gone flown by. And we thank you so much for uh, coming all the way from Bournemouth. To do it's this. my pleasure. Some part of the way on your bike.
1: I did cycle some of the journey. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> so that's pretty the cool.
1: final part.
0: Okay. <laughs> the last ten meters. Yeah. Um, it's been really lovely to see you again, ladies and gentlemen. Amazing, Dave Gorman. Hello. He is Dave Gorman. He is. We'll be back next week. See you then. Goodbye. You have been listening to Bar with me Richard Terry, and my guest, Dave Gorman. Thank you to Scant Regard for playing the music. I'm indebted to my producer Ben Walker, I'm indebted to Chris Evans, not that one, and everyone from GoPastTheStripe.com. I'm indebted to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre. Thank you to Captain McKeegan for her fantastic website, Rahalastaba, which helps me not ask the same questions twice too often. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to GoFasterStripe.com. You can buy my books and also downloads of all my stand-up shows and become a Badger, monthly Badger. Why not, my fan friends? Why not? Help us make more podcasts. Goodbye.